Incoming warp signature. We're being hailed. It's one of ours, the Farragut. Bond ship. Who's hailing us? Their captain, James Kirk. Sam's brother? I mean, uh, on screen. Enterprise, this is Captain James T. Kirk of the USS Farragut, offering assistance. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast for two Trek fans. Step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the Farragut Bridge. This is Tyler Orton, just talking to myself. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about the season one finale for Strange New Worlds, A Quality of Mercy. Yeah, Cam, you know, I don't want to be prone to exaggeration. I, uh, I And I feel like sometimes even there's episodes here that I uh, have enjoyed for the first season. I always seem to have these little qualifiers, like these little niggling you know, details that kind of uh, irk me a little bit. I'll just come out and say this. I think this is far and away the strongest episode that they've had so far in their uh, series short run. And I think what a way to go out on with a uh, series finale or a season finale quite like this in in which we've got lots going on with kind of the relationship between say Kirk, Spock and Pike. Um more on that I'm sure later. Uh what's ahead for Una and her deception as uh, Spock thought uh, Pike was already aware of which he was. So um more to discuss there. But what's your initial take on the finality uh, not finality, the finale <laughs> of Strange New Worlds? I love this episode. This was what I've been wanting from this show, and the show has delivered a lot of episodes I've really enjoyed, but a lot of time it was like, oh, this is kind of reminiscent of this episode, and I really like that, and I really like this version of it. But here it was like, this felt like you're kind of taking bits of framework from things maybe I've seen before, you know, kind of like Balance of Terror, um, you know, the the <laughs> double captains we've seen before, for example, in the finale of Voyager. But it felt like they found a way to tell a story that didn't feel like a riff on something I've seen before. It felt like kind of going off in a separate direction. It was kind of a balance of terror, but it was like filtered through the Pike character, which had an entire different approach to what that type of story could be. And just tying it into the character journey we've been on through season one of this character. And we've been questioning, like, is this whole series going to be Pike constantly tormented by, you know, his fate? And I like that they found a way to, at least for now, give us a little bit of a relief at the end of the season to kind of pay off where we've been going with that character. While also ushering in, like, what could be some really exciting stuff in the future. Well, I, I'm totally in agreement there. Uh, you're, you're pretty much like uh, looking at my notes in advance of this uh, recording, right? Because I, I want to go back to that thing that kind of, you know, even an episode like Memento Mori, which I thought was like a strong episode, there's stuff like, mm-hmm. like, like as you're saying, like, are, are, are we just, are we riffing off of stuff, off of adventures we've seen before, you know, that the Wrath of Khan or Balance of Terror stuff? Or are we just kind of like, uh, I don't know, like uh, plagiarizing it wholesale to a certain degree? You know, you, you go to another episode that I really liked, which was Spock and Mock, and you have that, uh, you want to call it an homage to uh, Mock time with the fighting on planet Vulcan there. But to me, I was just like, uh, 
I was a little bit worried about that episode if they're just going to do yet another just kind of like outright, um, you know, kind of uh, copy of that. And look, you bring up Balance of Terror here. This is clearly like a Balance of Terror side quill. You know, it's almost kind of like uh, their version of Trouble with Tribble, or I should say Trials and Tribulations, which uh, just by pure coincidence I happened to watch yesterday. So that one's on my mind. And I think that they're doing something interesting. Like, I haven't seen a Star Trek story told quite like this. And the thing that we were talking about, like, last week with regards to her stories, you know, um, we kind of thought that she had put it in the bag. You know, she's determined to go to Starfleet, pursue her career there. And then they kind of brought it up again. And now I get the sense, you know, with the departure of uh, Hammer, you know, no questions there. I, I didn't necessarily think that it was out of the question that we'd be continuing to touch upon Pike's, you know, big pathos over his fate. I think when they bring it up again here, I'm just like, yeah, I get it. I get it. And I think that after this adventure, I'm like, okay, I think they've kind of found kind of that ground where there's some sort of, you know, I would say closure that he has about just accepting his fate because either way, it just means the death of Spock, no matter what sort of uh, Klingon time monks will show the destiny to one uh, future Pike dressed up in uh, one of my favorite uniforms. But uh, mm. I wasn't a huge fan of the the fashion changes that they made, you know, giving it like rubber shoulder pads and lowering, you know, where kind of the uh, the ranking little uh, epaulet thing is uh, kind of uh, contained there. But I don't know. I don't know. It's, to me, this one totally... It fixed a lot of kind of the, the problems that I was having with the show, despite kind of enjoying it to a certain level. Uh, but I'll throw this back at you. It's a little awkward <laughs> that um, it's pretty much the same uh, season uh, finale that we got with Star Trek Lower Decks, uh, you know, just a couple months ago. Did that kind of um, jump out to you? Are you talking about the like the very final moments of it? Yeah, like uh, Captain uh, beams aboard <laughs> and uh, arrests a ranking crew member, takes him off the ship. Yeah. and just like, okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it's like, I, I know that they're not copying off each other. These are all completely different production schedules. But it might have kind of like take the wind out of the sails just a little bit uh, for these folks, uh, knowing that other Star Trek fans would have just seen uh, what happened uh, a couple months back with uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. I, I, I don't want to get you know, too spoilery just in case some yeah. folks are still catching up with that. Well, I think in terms of like the cliffhanger concept, yeah, I mean, it's very samey. What I'm hoping for with Strange New Worlds is we've had a lot of questions. You've brought it up on the show. Like, why are there all these genetically modified characters on the ship? You know, you had Una, you got Laan, like that's kind of strange. And then obviously, you know, you've got people like Spock and Hammer who have more advanced capabilities. So like, Why? And I'm really hoping that maybe this next season we can maybe, like, rewrite the code in terms of, like, genetically modified characters on the ship or something. Like, I know that kind of bumps up against the Bashir reveal in Deep Space Nine, but I feel like you're not introducing this unless you're planning to do something with it. And I'm not exactly sure what they can do, but I'm looking forward to seeing them explore the, you know, the genetic concepts of La'an and Una in the next season. The only thing that irks me though is they only decided to touch upon it again with regards to uh una's illyrian uh heritage um mm-hmm. after establishing it earlier on the season they turned into a cliffhanger there i'm just like okay well clearly I had an idea of what they wanted to do but it's just kind of unfortunate that it, let, let's say they never got a se- second season pickup or anything like that 
it just feels as if something would have been left untouched, you know, and I, I just kind of, that one kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I, I almost feel as if it would, like, whatever game plan that they're going to, like, smirk at each other, knowingly nod at, like, how smart they are, just like, I, they haven't quite earned it yet, and I, I, I wait for them to show their work, so to speak, when we pick up uh, next season. Well, we talked about last week about how Una felt like one of the less explored characters this season, which was actually a surprise when the show was launched. We really did think she would be one of the, you know, the main three. And I am like hoping this is kind of a way to give her a more elevated position in season two. And, you know, we've talked about Ortegas and, you know, the actress has been teasing that Ortegas is going to be developed more in season two. So I'm looking forward to now that we've kind of done these arcs in season one of Ahura and Pike and Spock, that maybe next season we can start to develop some of these lesser used characters. I think that could be really promising. Okay. Now, if we want to get into the whole Illyrian background thing. Okay, when we left off that episode, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. it my takeaway is that, I don't know, Pike had somehow kind of pulled some strings back at Starfleet, and this was never said explicitly, Yeah, but it was like, you know, Una owns up to it, and Pike's like, don't worry. Don't you worry about it. Um, well, I guess she should have been worrying about it, because like he didn't really seem to do anything <laughs> other than just to ignore the fact and allow a uh, member to continue to serve on the ship. Um, lots of you know, uh, opportunity for him to get in a whole lot of trouble with Starfleet. You know, he's kind of an accessory to, a, you know, a uh, a genetic crime or whatever you want to call it here. So I don't know. It's just a it's a bit of a surprise to me. And, and again, he didn't really let it out of the bag on the transporter pad sequence that uh, he knew about it the whole time. He just said, uh, you know, I don't care what she is. And then if I was that ensign, that red shirt ensign who got my hand <laughs> busted up by a captain. I would want him court-martialed. That is so not cool. Like, <laughs> F you, bro. That, like, seriously, that, 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 that what, what a jerk you are, Pike. This guy's just doing his job. He's, he's like, uh, probably fresh out of, like, Starfleet Academy, hand-broken by Pike. I thought Pike cared about young people aspiring to be, like, uh, Starfleet officers. No thank you. No, no thank you, sir. Look, Pike had had a rough day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> a real rough day. Okay, okay. <laughs> I can kind of forgive him for going through that, <laughs> like, just traumatic experience. And then watching your friend and first officer be hauled off, <laughs> you might, like, be a little on edge. <laughs> Did you know that a real rough day? Um, when uh, Chapel's listing off, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, oh, yeah. uh, uh, mass blood letting, um, lost leg, cranial damage, spine fracture. Mm. I, I thought she was explaining his cause of death and then she perks up and says when he makes it through his life will never be the same i was like that guy's still alive like what <laughs> yeah you know so just like um but i mean i it, it took me a beat you know I, i'm very slow when it comes to this but essentially he was taking over kind of you know kind of pike's destiny um if you can kind of call it that there so um but that that particular moment i was just like there's no way i could i thought we were looking at a corpse there you know i felt bad well, and it also, like, underlined the importance of Spock to the franchise. It was somewhat self-knowing in that regard. In the same way that in the 2009 film, you had older Spock talking about the importance of Kirk befriending the younger Spock. And you two really need to start hanging out together because important things are going to happen. And I kind of like that they paved the way for that as well. Because this show, when it 
ends, you know, in X number of years, the Spock journey is really only just beginning. And it was a way to kind of underline that this character is incredibly important. And hopefully people who enjoy the show who are new to the franchise are going to feel compelled to continue that journey with Spock. Because I think Ethan Peck's done a great job of, you know, building this character up on this show. But I think the show's done a really good job of selling why Spock is so interesting. Fate of the Galaxy uh, sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'll take you through how like my thought process worked as things unfolded. I thought whoever uh, was cast as that Romulan commander was uh, superb. I thought that was just a, a, a great performance. He was, he was terrific. But when he's on the view screen in those final moments and he says to Pike, you know, hopefully what we did here today will uh, bring about some sort of peace uh, between our peoples. And then my head is just like, no, you're going to get supernovaed. And uh, in between then, it's going to be kind of a rough going. And again, I'm, I'm slow. So it did, I, I didn't really like kind of realize until uh, Pike was talking to older Pike that it's really about kind of um, reunification ahead and how Spock is going to be so important towards the reunification of um, the Vulcans and the Romulans moving forward. And it's just, it's like, I, I like it when an episode um, makes me have to kind of go back and rethink and reinterpret uh, what was unfolding before it, mo- mostly just because I, I can be slow at times there. But um, I don't know, this one was uh, like just, uh, what a solid outing. And just, it must have been fun for just kind of a, uh, Pike to play against Pike in this situation, kind of an older alt-reality Pike, uh, who's aged pretty well for, I, I have, what would you think that is, like a, a, at least a 17-year time jump, just based on kind of the gaps between these three, the uh, the uniforms? I would say so. That Yeah, that seems about right. Okay. I mean, I, will you be shocked if 17 years from now, Ensign Mount looks still incredible? <laughs> He'll look even more strapping, right? <laughs> I would think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I think we kind of buried one of, okay, the, the, there's not a lead to bury, because, like, uh, there, there's so many things to tackle here, but, uh, we've got Kirk here, uh, which was, uh, a bit of a surprise, because we had been teased that, uh, Paul Wesley had been cast as Kirk for season two, and we see him show up in the finale. I, I, it didn't actually shock me that he did show up here, because it's just kind of a curious, like, why were they announcing this before? I read an interview with uh, Paul Wesley. It's, it's, that's the name of the actor, right? Who plays Kirk? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So I read an interview with him about this, and he said that, like, paparazzi and stuff had managed to catch shots of him, and um, they were basically heading them off at the pass by making this formal announcement that he would be in season two because their plan was to not announce anything whatsoever and just have it be a surprise. But they thought by announcing that he would be in season two that it would stop them from digging and revealing that he was in the uh, finale of season one. Um, I'm just going to go, I, I want to correct what we said, Cam. Um, mm. It is in fact uh, one Pavel Thomas uh, Wawelewski, who is playing uh, Captain James T. Kirk, um, but his stage name is actually Paul Wesley. Okay, fair enough. I had no idea that uh, he, it must be a, like Polish descent there. Okay, yes, uh, Wikipedia says Polish parents. So there you go. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I, I, I guess, yeah, if paparazzi spotted, then I, I guess they would have been having to deal with the speculation that he would have been showing up at, by the end of season one. I, I, okay, okay, I, I can get that. Yeah. Okay, okay, so I, I've got uh, some like mixed feelings here. Um, I think Chris Pine is a spectacular uh, kind of reimagination uh, of one Kirk. And, and like just like he has this aura about him. He has this Kirk energy. He's not really doing the Shatner impersonation, you know, so to speak, but he's just got kind of like this uh, 
this magnetism uh, to him that uh, Shatner shared. Uh, whereas Paul Wesley, like, I, he's doing certain inundations, like Shatner inundations, but very subtly. He's not going over the top, you know, Star Trek V sort of Shatner. It's more like, um, I think we do need to get to the relay point. Like that, kind of softer there. Yeah. But just the, the, the Kirk energy that it seemed Chris Pine was able to tap into. I, I, it's only one episode in. He's only had about like, yep. you know, uh, 10, 12 minutes of total screen time at this point. Um, it still hasn't quite captured the, the Kirk spirit, in my opinion. I, I, I leave my mind open, but what's your initial impressions of uh, this version of uh, James T. Kirk? So I had a somewhat similar experience where like it felt like they understood how to write this Kirk, but I was struggling to kind of align with this being Kirk. Now, to be completely fair, you know, to uh, Chris Pine, the first time I saw Star Trek 2009, I didn't walk out being like, nailed it, like home run, That like that's Shatner. It took me a while to kind of go like, he's really, I can feel it, like I can really feel the Kirk there. So I am totally on board for like Paul Wesley developing this. And I did notice in the interview that I read that he said that, you know, this is an Elseworlds Kirk. This isn't like, you know, <laughs> the, the Kirk we're going to spend time with in season two, because he is scheduled to be in a couple episodes in season two he said like this is a kirk who's never been the captain of the enterprise he's never you know become friends with spock so he's not the same kirk he is a different human being right so it's like you have kind of that um a little bit of the impulsiveness or the risk taking but you don't have kind of the soft thing or like the humanity or kind of the good humor of kirk that you get i think on the original series and i'm betting we'll probably get maybe a little more of in season two, especially when we start to introduce more of a dynamic with Spock. Uh, what about his brief interaction with uh, Sam Kirk, in which they uh, they there, there's a whole lot of hugging going on in this episode uh, on the transporter pads, <laughs> where there is Sam and Jim, or Laon and Chris, um, and also his remark to Laon, like, didn't know you're such a hugger. Um, I got the sense there was something else uh, kind of going on in this timeline. I, I you know, I, maybe they're a little bit more intimate or uh, or closer by the time we got there. But I definitely took Chris by surprise there, and I agree. I never thought of Laon as a hugger. Uh yeah. But I, I, I I'm curious what they do with Kirk. It he's almost like he's not. 2266 Kirk yet you know it's still like I think we're at 2258 59 at this point so it is still going to be kind of a younger Kirk that we're you know um interacting with here um interesting to know that you know uh okay so wait Operation Annihilate Balance of Terror I think Operation of Annihilate definitely aired uh after Balance of Terror right yeah uh, correct yes yeah okay okay so then I can still kind of wrap my head around like Sam Kirk eventually becoming a civilian and, you know, doing that kind of route there. Um, still rocking the mustache uh, up into the end there. So good on him. Yeah, I mean, I know that some people have kind of uh, picked nits with, you know, the continued role of Sam Kirk on the show. I, I love it. Really I don't care. Love, <laughs> yeah, I am a huge fan of what they're doing with Sam Kirk because it's like that was a non-character. That was William Shatner in a mustache <laughs> on the ground. For, you know, decades upon decades. I love that now when I turn on Operation Annihilate, I am now going to be thinking about this character I've spent time with on Strange New Worlds. And we live in a world now where I feel like I often have to shield myself from additions to canon. Obi-Wan, for example. Like, (laughs) I don't want to regard any of that 
when I, you know, visit Star Wars down the road. Like, no thank you. And I love that this is an example of it done really well where, yeah, Sam Kirk can be kind of a, you know, a nerdy character or an annoying character, but it doesn't matter. It's adding textures to something I can bring to what is a kind of silly element of TOS canon. Although... It is kind of sad that this character who uh, I'm, I'm enjoying, like, um, he meets a rather mm-hmm. brutish end, uh, rather unceremoniously, you know, on, on that planet, getting uh, sucked by flying pancakes. So, okay. Um, hopefully pancakes or flying it, or um, fried eggs? Uh, yeah, you know, it, flat disks of, uh, uh, of edible <laughs> biomass. So, mm, you know, like... Yes. Uh, you know, that, a little unceremonious, but, um, you know, maybe they'll be able to fix that in yet another spinoff somehow. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm hopeful they let Sam Kirk stick around a while because I would like to see this character because the whole thing with the Sam Kirk death in <laughs> Annihilate is that it's a meaningless death. Like, it is nothing. It's kind of like, you know, the Tasha Yar death in TNG is obviously way more egregious because we'd spent time with that character. But it's similarly like pointless and so i kind of like the idea of when we can say goodbye to sam kirk on the show hopefully we carry something with us that gives the life of that character meaning versus just this tossed off death that means nothing and props to them casting two actors that actually look quite a bit alike you know like i can believe Mm -hmm. that they're brothers and so the whole shatner in a mustache um it, it doesn't seem as stupid anymore although it is still stupid when you go back and watch operation annihilate Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, And we have this episode kind of ending, and we see Pike, you know, looking at Kirk's, um, you know, file on his view screen. I'm wondering how much of the Pike journey, because that's been one of those things, like, is this show just about, um, you know, Pike preparing to injure himself or, you know, be injured in this training exercise later down the road? Like, I don't, is that a compelling journey? I wonder if it's more about a legacy project for Pike. It's summing up a life and a career, and... Now that we've kind of introduced Kirk, it's going to be hopefully about the two of them spending time together and kind of paving the way for Pike passing on his legacy to the next generation. It's about him letting go, I think. And yeah. even those moments, those small moments where he was nodding his head at, you know, a now Lieutenant Uhura, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of like knowing that Lon was now a commander, uh, Spock was now his first officer. You know, kind of those moments that I I, I could really uh, like appreciate. Like, he is a guy who's ready to kind of pass on the baton and have like kind of this legacy continue with a ship that he absolutely adores. Um, it's just kind of like so. The thing that I I wonder about is like uh, nothing to me is better than the the Spock Kirk relationship. But this iteration of Star Trek in which we have Anson Mount and uh, Ethan Peck and, and the chemistry that they share, it, it's just kind of like. Uh, uh, I think it's done incredibly well. And you're like, oh, wow. Spock has a knack for getting these kind of fraternal captain figures in his life and really connecting with on the his human kind of uh, spectrum there. And it's just, I, I don't know, it's, just, it, it's, it's almost kind of like hitting lightning in a ball, bottle twice where you're talking about like um, four completely different actors all within a single franchise over the course of 55 years. I don't know, just like, um, I, I think we got... Very, very lucky with the casting of both Ethan Peck and uh, and uh, uh, Anson Mount in these uh, respective roles here. And we had talked early on in our coverage of Strange New Worlds where we were like trying to figure out like what is the relationship of, you know, Spock and Pike on this show? Because you have like the great friendship of TOS 
what is this relationship going to be? And I like the way they've kept it where it's like, you know, it's a very like friendly, you know, supportive, like, you know, superior officer relationship where the two of them are very professional, but you can see like the warmth there, but it doesn't feel like it's doing Kirk and Spock 2.0. It feels like it is very different, even if it is similarly, you know, warm and supportive of one another. Yeah. So, uh, oh, you know what? Okay. I gave you my thoughts on the Pike in the uh, TOS movie uniform. What did you think of it? Or yeah. what did you just think of seeing that on screen for the first time since, I don't know, it's got to be since like Tapestry uh, back in uh, TNG since we've seen that on the small screen? Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, I was really excited when we had the older Pike show up. I was like, okay. Like, I thought it was fun when Janeway showed up in, you know, Endgame. And I was like, okay. I honestly thought that was going to be enough for what the finale could be, like some sort of story <laughs> involving older Pike, younger Pike. I mean, it would make sense about the mortality of the character and where we've been on the season. The fact they then threw another, you know, um, loophole for as to where we were going, I was super excited about. Um, but when I saw that uniform, I did smile. I agree, like it looked a little off, but it's like one of those things where like, you have this classic uniform. The you know Wrath of Khan uniforms are just like top tier. I think we voted them maybe the best uniforms in Star Trek when we did that episode on costumes. Um, they're just like they're perfection in those films. And it's kind of like if you're a costume designer coming on board, you know, Strange New Worlds, you want to like bring something of your own creativity to the to the uniform. But it's tough when it's that iconic. And I think like when you have the the more standard TOS uniforms, there's a lot of room to play around. But with these, there's not as much. And I think like the choices they made, maybe a little distracting, but I, I think it still captured the dignity of that uniform. Yeah, look, I, I just think there's a tendency in new Trek, you know, this uh, Kurtzman era to kind of over-design things to a certain degree. Um, it's almost like the uh, like the 4K school of thought. It's like we need to be more detailed than ever before. And so they sometimes add bells and whistles that you don't really need. Yeah, I know. It's like it, my mind kept... Okay, so after Old Pike brought up the uh, the Klingon time monks, uh, and they said, mm. ah, you know, the Klingons, uh, there's nothing they uh, don't mind solving. Um, uh, there's no problem they don't mind solving with uh, Batleth. And it uh, just made me think of the... Uh, the new era of Batlas that we saw, which they're spectacularly well designed, but they seem incredibly impractical as like weapons. <laughs> you know, they're they're more spear than sword, and it's just like okay, you were able to like design something that looks cool, but to to what end? Like, what's the point? And like when they're putting on like additional flourishes on uh, the Pike uniform, like the the kind of like rubbery shoulder pads, I'm just like, is that really necessary? Like, no. Like, you're, you're just doing it to find something to do. Yeah. I mean, it didn't phase me at all really watching the episode, but it is the sort of thing where this goes back to, right, you know, day one, Star Trek Discovery, with, like, doing the makeup on the Klingons, right? Like, Klingons are a pretty perfect model. You know, you upgrade the makeup, but they went off in a whole other direction. And and, and you're talking about the original series Klingons. Like, those are the perfect uh, kind of Klingon model. Oh. That you're, yeah. I was actually thinking the animated series Klingons. Oh, yes, um, yes. I think they looked better in animation. I, and actually, you know, my all-time favorite were the uh, the motion picture Klingons. You know, <laughs> or season one Worf. I think they really yeah. nailed it there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but by the time you get to the end of like 
nemesis you know by the time you've got that movie era they have just nailed like the klingon prosthetics like Worf looks incredible on that you know on those films and also in ds9 as well but it's like they were like we know, we need to add our own visual stamp for our era and that's what it feels like they're doing here they're always trying to reinterpret i think these classic designs they've done it to the enterprise bridge they've done it to the uniforms i'm fine with it it's a visual reboot but at least in the case of these uniforms yeah the uh, the rathacon ones reign supreme well, let me pose this to you. This is something that we, we've kind of like uh, asked ourselves about, though. But like with Worf's return in season three of Picard, which has been confirmed, um, mm. like they're not going to make him look like Voke or T'Challa or Lorel, right? He's he's not going to adopt T'Challa? that. T'Challa is it Black Panther? Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> wait, who's? <laughs> Um, he would look badass if he was dressed in like T'Challa's uh, uniform. Um, no kidding. Do you know why T'Challa's on my mind, Cam? Uh, just for listeners, uh, I was I was in uh, Seattle uh, this past week, and they had the I, I went to the Museum of Pop Culture. Um, many folks might know it uh, by the the former name of uh, uh, the Experience Music Project, and they had a giant exhibit dedicated to Ruth E. Carter. Mm. She was one who won the Oscar. Uh, first woman of, of of color to win an Oscar for best costuming. That was for Black Panther, right? And so I got to see like just this uh, this amazing exhibit of all these uh, costumes she's designed from Amistad to do the right thing to uh, Malcolm X uh, and, and of course Black Panther as well. So that's why I had T'Challa on my mind. I was talking about Takuma, Takuma okay. Cam. Okay, just to clarify. <laughs> just to clarify. I had T'Challa on my mind. I meant to say Takuma. And Worf is not going to look like Takuma. I guarantee you that. But you do know that he's not going to look like, you know, Season 7 Deep Space Nine Worf. You know, like the, his makeup is... Like, it, they know that it's going to be going under the 4K cameras. I, I, I have a mm-hmm. feeling it's going to... Almost like a little bit more rubbery, and like if you understand what I'm saying, it's it's almost going to bring attention to itself in a way that I know it's going to bug me. And I'm not talking about like having a, a giant redesign; it's going to be designed the same way. But I think they're going to make the makeup look a little bit more intricate. You know, that's just kind of the thing that I, I, I'm fearful right now. Yeah, and when they had the Klingon redesign in season one, Discovery. Um, people weren't the happiest and season two, it felt like they refined it a little bit to bring it closer to what we know of as the Klingon makeup. I thought they looked pretty good there. Season two discovery. It's, you know, the Klingons look a little different, but I, I was okay mostly with how they looked. So I'm hoping that like they can find a happy balance and I don't want to see the kind of the shiny plasticky look we see on say like the Orions, for example, like I'd like to see Klingon makeup that looks yeah real and like you know that skin that actually breathes so hopefully they can kind of find an in-between between what they were doing on like discovery to bringing it here because like you can't introduce Worf and have him look like you know Takuvma or Voke or like one of those you know discovery Klingons it would be so weird it'd be great if Worf has or Michael Dorn has in his contract like I'm not I'm not doing you know, three hours of makeup again. I'll wear the wig, but no makeup. And then nobody comments <laughs> on the fact that uh, Michael Dorn is just wearing his ponytail wig and there's no makeup at all. It would be really amazing if he was like, look, I will come back, but I want classic Worf, red uniform, season one makeup, or else I'm out. 
<laughs> and they're giving him his season one measurements as well on that uniform too that uh that this 70 year old man is gonna have to squeeze into exactly <laughs> i was surprised like we'd been talking a few episodes ago about like we were questioning how much this season of strange new worlds was going to dive into kind of the more classic star trek lore as opposed to creating its own lore for what would be happening going forward. We had a lot of Gorn stuff built up this season and a lot of alien planets we never encountered before. I was actually genuinely surprised to get a full-on Romulan story in the finale. Um, well, okay, like, I, does the surprise come from the fact that it's their uh, kind of vision of Balance of Terror? Or does the surprise come from the fact that... Uh, they just touched on the Romulans, period. The latter. Um, I really thought the Romulans would be something that it would be a real, like, break, you know, break glass in case of emergency. Just because of, like, they, you know, obviously within, you know, Starfleet had never seen Romulans up until Balance of Terror. So it kind of, like, limits what you can do. I like that they found a real <laughs> timey-wimey way to uh, send Pike on a journey where we could have that experience of seeing Romulans yeah. <laughs> that does not undo anything to do with continuity. But it felt like the sort of thing where you might build up to Romulans later, but it's not the sort of thing you want to work in early because it almost feels like you're boxed in by what you can do. So I really thought, like, if we were going to get any sort of classic Star Trek alien stuff in a finale, it would be probably more Klingon than Romulan. Okay. I, I mean, I was just disappointed that we didn't get the return of Lieutenant Stiles, the incredibly racist uh, <laughs> helmsman, uh, who's just railing, railing against Spock in the, uh, uh, in the original Balance of Terror. Um, okay, so wait, I, I, something I, I couldn't really figure out, like, Lieutenant... Mitchell and Ortega's, they kept switching sides of the console uh, that yeah. they're at. Like, it, like Mitchell was on the left in the future alt reality, and then, and then she was on the right in this current timeline, if I recall correctly. I, I, I don't really know what that signifies. Did they swap seating positions? Like, I don't mean the characters. Like, did they swap the command station locations? Like it was an accident or that just their duties flipped? Like like on purpose. Like did they switch helm and ops like for a specific like redesign reason? Like it Was it to differentiate between the two timelines perhaps even? Well, I, I was just wondering if it was just to differentiate between the two timelines more than anything else, you know. Because yeah. they weren't going to give us like Sulu... Or, and Chekhov would not have been around by Balance of Terror, but they weren't going to give us Sulu, which I can totally understand. Um, was Sulu even in Balance of Terror? This is another question, like, I'm wondering. I think he was, yeah. Um, I'm pretty, he was pretty constant through season one, especially by that point. So I'd have to go back to the tape, but I'm pretty confident he's there. Okay. Well, look, I, because the thing that, <laughs> I, I kept wondering, like, what legacy character is going to suddenly pop in? And I understand why mm. they don't want to, like, like cast whoever they're going to have to cast, uh, you know, three seasons down the road as, like, the, the new botany officer that will uh, eventually become uh, Sulu the helmsman, you know? Um, they, they did give us a taste of Scotty. Cam, was that a pretty bad Scottish accent? Or am I just being uh, too judgmental and it could have been, like, the best scottish accent it, it, it's okay here's what it 
it, it sounded like a uh, somebody impersonating Jimmy Duan doing Scotty rather than like a a a Scots man or Scots one, you know, just speaking naturally. Right. You know, and so here's the other thing I, I was wondering, though. If we need a chief engineer replacement going into the second season, does that mean Scotty is already on his way? And that is to say the actor has been cast and they were using the season two actor. Uh, you know, it, it's very easy to just get a season two actor to do some uh, uh, voiceover, you know, even for a season one episode you know they're into production right now so they could have already cast the actor and just used his voice for that or is it going to be like kind of spinal tap where like every season we get like a a new chief engineer and until we end up with scotty maybe by season four or five i was even wondering because the scotty thing i thought was a really fun easter egg but i was almost wondering is that like ai they use to try to like get the voice across oh. or something <laughs> like the the whole darth vader james earl jones yeah. thing they did with obi-wan okay uh, once upon a time that would have been an, a, an absurd thing to say because you'd be like they're not going to go to that amount of effort but now that that technology's out there i do wonder if we're just going to have more of that because i was wondering if they were even merging dialogue together like you remember um that episode of lower decks where they had a lot of the classic characters came back and they played you know that, old dialogue that was, uh, star trek prodigy you're correct. Yeah, yeah. Prodigy. Um, so I was like wondering if that might be what's going on. Like you maybe throw in maybe an AI voice. I mean, maybe we just find out like a week from now or a few days from now that it was just, you know, an actor they hired to do the voice. But at the time, I wasn't sure because they were keeping it somewhat distorted as well. Um, so I wasn't sure. And I like that they kind of teased initially that maybe we would see Dr. Uh, McCoy because the, yeah. the part where they're saying, we're going to send you to the doctor. He's like, no, 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 not the doctor. And I was like, oh, okay. And I like that they faked it out. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was fun. But as to your question about the rotating engineers, I think the rotating concept is more fun. I don't know that I really need to see Scotty show up in season two, strange new worlds. Like I know, I know that character very well. Um, I almost feel like Scotty, it's weird because you can look at Kirk and say like within pop culture, that character has become kind of a caricature, but I would say Scotty has. I think like the performance of Chris Pine has really shown that you can do a lot more with Kirk. I think, you know, hopefully Paul Wesley in the future, same deal. I feel like Scotty, partly because of the TOS movies, which really boxed him into a very small role, which was often comedic. And then, you know, I like Simon Pegg, but, like, the Scotty in the uh, Kelvinverse movies is pretty comedic as well. Like, I don't... Unless they're going to do, like, serious Scotty storytelling, I'm not that interested in doing kind of classic Scotty bits. I would prefer to just develop some new characters as engineers. Maybe just one, who knows. Um, The Spinal Tap concept's fun, but I'm cool if they want to have just a new engineer for, like, two or three seasons and just develop a new character. Because I always think it's more fun to introduce new characters to Star Trek than to constantly revisit the old. Well, that's just it. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with them revisiting Uhura. And my, I just, like, do we have, like, four more seasons of Scotty's stories to tell mm-hmm. until it, it feels as if we're almost kind of impinging on the character who was pretty much the most prominent character after the big triumvirate from the original series, you know? And I just... It almost seems as if it's doing that character disservice. If he shows up in the final two seasons, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But it's like, um, 
we already have Spock going on. Uh, we already have Uhura going on, you know. But if it's a character like Mabenga, who uh, had, what would you say, Cam, a total of six minutes of, you know, airtime, like... 55 years ago yeah explore that character i'm fine with that you know same with the chapel you know but it's just like it, it, and uhura I, 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 let's be honest uhura was a character who got some key episodes but was not a you know fully fleshed out character the way they look to be doing now well and okay let me ask you this um would you say that sulu was a more developed character than uhura was uh back in the original series that is such a tough one i know um I know. Because, like, season one, uh, like, Sulu gets a fair amount to do. You know, you have, like, Shore Leave. You've got um, Naked Time. Like, he's given a number of episodes to really shine. But then he kind of falls into that classic helmsman role of the I.I. Captain kind of stuff. Yeah. The movies give him a little more. But within the show, ugh. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, the movies, you get a lot more of Sulu, uh, despite the fact that uh, they kind of relegated him to, like, in Star Trek VI. They're like, uh, Shatner and Takei cannot be with each other anymore. Let's put them on yeah. different bridges altogether, you know. And it feels like once they introduced um, Chekhov, he took a lot of the, um, the, the roles within episodes that Sulu probably would have gotten had, you know, Takei, there was other issues because he had signed on to appear in the John Wayne film, The Green Berets, through season two of TOS. So a lot of probably what would have been his jobs wound up being given to Chekhov. And I think they just stuck with that through season three as well. So he was often overshadowed. So I don't know. Between Uhura and Sulu, I think Uhura probably is given less, but is also showcased in more, I guess, iconic episodes. So she's acknowledged as more maybe important in terms of stature on the show. Uh, we never got to see Sulu serenade uh, the crew the way that we had Uhura do that. So uh, something to look forward to. I Look, I'm, I'm okay with Uhura sticking around, developing that character more and more. Give us, you know, maybe... It, it, my guess is Strange New Worlds is a show that'll go for five seasons. And then we kind of have the passing, the inevitable passing of the baton, you know, to uh, uh, Kirk and company. I'm okay if, like, we have seasons four and five with, you know, botanist Sulu, and maybe he is a, a recurring character, season four, maybe a main character by season five. Like, I think that kind of works for me there. I just, and maybe the same with Scotty as well. I, it just, it, it feels as if it's just going to be too much if we just keep piling on legacy character after legacy character every season and it just feels as if this is going to be the the tos wannabe show rather than mm. its own thing which is strange new worlds well it should be more of a slow evolution to what tos is like by the end of this series yes hand off the baton to kirk you know their journey is going to go onwards but like i like the idea of spending time with pike and his crew and slowly working those elements in like maybe by the time we get to like season four and five we can make that transition a little more overt, but I'm kind of happy where we are. We're going to have a new engineer. Hopefully it's a new character. Um, and if it's not, they better have a darn good reason as to why it's Scotty now and also give Scotty a lot to do, like make him feel dynamic and give us shades of Scotty that we just didn't even get on the original series, even though he has given a lot to do on the original series, uh, even if it is like episodes like Wolf in the Fold. But I am genuinely happy with this show after this season that... One of the characters that I was the most concerned about was La'an when they announced, oh, it's, you know, Khan Noonien Singh's, you know, ancestor and whatever. Um, and uh, 
the fact that like I'm sitting here now and when I was watching the finale, I was wondering like, where's Lon? Where's Lon through this story? And like, I was really excited to see what she was up to in this timeline. That is not something I thought would be the case when this show, you know, before it had launched, I thought it would be much more focused on, oh man, Uhura, Spock, all these classic characters. I'm really happy that when we got to the end here, new characters like Laan, I was really interested to see what they were up to. And also, I was just psyched to see Ortega's doing more in an episode. Okay, but I, I'm, I, I don't want a slow transition. I want the series finale of Strange New Worlds to have Kirk coming aboard the ship saying, Ortega's, mm. you're fired. Laon, you're fired. Uh, Mabenga, <laughs> um, you're getting demoted. I have a new uh, chief medical officer. Uh, you know what, uh, Mitchell? Um, I already have a friend named Mitchell. You're fired. Uh, okay, Uhura, you can stick around. Um, chief Engineer Rando, you're fired. I got a Scotty here. You know, and just like, just like it's going to be just a total bloodbath, you know, this, this series finale of Strange New Worlds, right? Kirk, not a happy guy when he joined the Enterprise. (laughs) Una, you're still in detention and you're staying there and I'm never going out of my way to bring you back. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I want all of these transitions of the characters to feel organic. And I mean, I expect like Ortegas will probably be a character that transfers onto a different ship at a certain point or something, probably through a promotion or something. But like, um, Death by Goring Hatchlings again. Well, you know what? No one's off the table at this point, I guess, in terms of, like, it's really only Ortega's and Laon, I guess, are the two remaining. And Una. We don't know what happens to Una in the future. So those three are kind of up in the air as to what could happen. I feel like they're going to sidestep. The only only problem is, I'll just jump in, though. It's it's three women characters, right? Yeah. And... um, it's kind of problematic. They're like dispatch of them in, in like unceremonious ways, you know, and like so. Whereas we know that all these uh, male legacy characters are going to be kind of sticking around to one degree or another. Although, uh, you know, yeah, you know, because we know Uhura and Chapel are sticking around, and and we're cool with that. But anyways, I I did kind of go off on a tangent there. I'll I'll, I'll let you continue. Sorry. Well, I mean, hopefully the new engineer isn't Scotty, and then that can introduce an element of uncertainty as well. And I feel like they're going to sidestep the uh, uh, Mobenga thing by probably just have him become like part-time or something by the end. I think that'll be a voluntary choice. That makes no sense. <laughs> choice. Makes it makes no, no sense. sense. I guarantee you it's voluntary, though. There's no way they're like, you're demoted. <laughs> Bones McCoy, that's the man. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. McCoy comes aboard a, tra- a, a, a transporter buffer, eh? Hey, Mabenka, I'm going to stick you in this transporter buffer. Uh, and if I need some extra help, then uh, you, you'll be allowed out. Is that a fair plan, guys? Okay, great. Cool. Is that the biggest sort of like uh, issue they have to resolve? Because most of the other things, I can make sense of what the future could hold. Mabenka is the one where I'm like, I don't. How are they going to like resolve that in a satisfying way? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's like this is why if you had Doctor Boyce, um, on the show, and you could have Mabenga as well, but then it would have been established that you know, like Mabenga could have been this could have been his first assignment, you know, and mm-hmm. that's why you have Doctor Boyce as your uh, chief medical officer, and then McCoy comes on as chief medical officer though, and, and like. Um, and I get it. Do you want to just keep having like a string of really old white guys uh, <laughs> when you have kind of the opportunity to like uh, have kind of diversity that's more reflective of society that we live in? Like I, I, I totally get it. But it's it's one of those things that 
I, I, they're going to have to square that circle at a certain point, and my guess is they haven't quite figured out what they're going to do that doesn't make it seem silly, that he's like, he's somehow not going to be the chief medical officer, but he's still going to be hanging around on the ship uh, into the TOS era. Yeah, like, I- I'm tr- trying to wrap my head around it. Unless it's like he just transfers to another ship, and we just have to, like, headcanon that he was on loan or something for those two episodes. <laughs> he just popped by, you know, like... Yeah, um, relief. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Bones was on vacation or whatever. No, I don't. I don't even remember what Bones was up to in those episodes. He kept saying, "Have you? Has anyone seen my Nebula daughter? I'm just checking in in case uh, <laughs> she's popped in." No. Okay. I guess I'll leave again. I'll I'll be back yeah. soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Okay. So Cam, more broadly, um, how does this stack up as a uh, season one, uh, uh, season or how how does season one of Strange New World stack up versus other first seasons of Star Trek shows? Well, let's go through the the more recent ones because I would look at, you know, Discovery Season 1 is interesting and has some successes, but it's very dodgy. It's all over the place. So I would say, like, Strange New Worlds understood exactly what it was out of the gate. So it's right there, better than Season 1 of... So let's put, let's put, yeah, Strange New Worlds above Discovery Season 1. Okay, uh, after that... Picard, uh, Picard Picard. had a lot of problems. Um, It was very messy. Listen to the podcast that we recorded. <laughs> they had to throw out most of their scripts in season one. That's out there. It's not us just kind of making that up. Uh, so I, I would, mean, anyone like, who's Strange... listened to this show knows how we feel about season one Picard. So Strange New Worlds is yes. superior to that. Yes. Uh, and so then we've got uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, so it's interesting. I, I think that Star Trek Lower Decks, the first half of its first season, uh, it was still finding its feet. Whereas I think that Stranging Worlds came out of the gate, uh, those first five episodes, quite strong, and the subsequent four, um, a little bit more mixed for me, There, you know, and then it, it went out with a bang, I would really say. But I also say that Strange New Worlds, those final five episodes were fantastic, and I, I would also say the, the final two episodes of, uh, of uh, sorry, <laughs> I was talking about Lower Decks, but those final five episodes of Lower Decks were fantastic, especially yeah. those final two and um so i don't know okay and they both did a similarly excellent job in terms of defining their characters very quickly as well yeah i might and i know it seems kind of unfair i might just give the nod to strange new worlds uh look you've got recency bias but i i this is what i'm saying is a little unfair though is like maybe just because i uh having a live action series like that's kind of how i always think of star trek naturally and i think considering um how messy the uh, live action series have been for the last five years uh maybe we and look prodigy we'll get we'll let you know our thoughts on the first season of prodigy when it finishes wrapping up in about uh 2024 i think as when the uh, the final <laughs> batch of episodes will be released though so, so of course prodigy has been very good but um yeah, yeah I, I would. If I had to rank them, uh, I I'd say Strange New Worlds, then Lower Decks, and then Discovery, and then Picard, and then TBD on Prodigy because we're only eight or nine episodes in at this point. Yeah, I'm really enjoying pr- the first half of Prodigy. So like that one could, you know, hold a pretty decent position. But I would I think have the same rankings. And in terms of like the classic stuff. TOS season one is probably always going to reign supreme because you have all-timer Star Trek episodes strewn throughout season one of TOS. 
Um, TNG season one's a train wreck, so that one's not really a question mark too much. DS9 is, it has some really good episodes, but it's like uncertain as what as to what the show is yet. Yeah. Um, and so for every like duet, there's like two or three of like whispers or something like that. Oh. Um, oh no, whispers is a good season two or three episode. Uh, but you know, uh, whispers is the oh. Chief O'Brien kind of clone episode. That's right. Uh, What's the one where Cisco? Uh, there's that woman who appears like at night. Uh, so I think that's a season two episode. Actually, is that with, season two. Um, yeah, it's uh. It, it's like an alien who has like a double who isn't yeah. an alien. It's kind of weird. Uh, it's it deals with kind of a mad scientist. I will say this: they have one of the most beautiful shots of Deep Space Nine ever in that episode. And Switch, it's actually uh, they have the airlock open from one of the upper pylons, and you can look down upon the station. We've never seen that shot before again. But it, it's not a great episode. It's yeah. like um, I think the word like like second. I think it's called Second Sight. Oh, that sounds right. Okay. I remember that being an actual title. Yeah, but look, uh, season one of Space Nine, it's episodes like Progress, you know, like, will this farmer on Bajor leave his land to create a water reclamation? It's like, oh my god, like, snore, you know. Or the one with the um the Bajoran criminal that was dead and his ghost comes back to, like, haunt Odo or something. Like, that episode's brutal. Uh, literally a ghost a ghost comes to haunt Odo? Something like that. Do you remember that? The criminal that is, like, deceased, I think, and comes back? Like a zombie? No. It's like, oh my god, I have to go back to, like, season one. But it's like, I think the criminal was, like, burnt to death or something. Okay. I don't think it's an actual literal ghost, though, right? No, there's alien mumbo jumbo as to like okay, wh- how okay. this character is continuing on, but it feels like a you know ghost kind of episode yeah. is what what I'm saying. Um, but nonetheless, moving on. <laughs> Babel is not a good one, uh, but I, I would say yeah. Voyager season one is surprisingly strong. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks might be surprised there. Um, I, I uh, look Enterprise is a series that I've come to have so much affection for, but it came at a time that. Um, I, I I was getting burnt out on Star Trek, and so I just there's a lot of these episodes where you're just watching Archer get beaten up like all the time. They're much slower in pace, which is actually something I I, I should have been more grateful for when we get to kind of the uh, the speed neck pace of like you know season two of Discovery, you know where I'm just like I I don't even know what's going on. But um, I don't know what what are your feelings on um, Voyager season one versus Enterprise season one. Um, I just have a corrective. It was actually um, bothering Bashir, the criminal. It was the episode, The Passenger. That's the one I was thinking about. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Anyways, um, as to Voyager and Enterprise, Enterprise season one is solid. I enjoy watching season one, but it's also really hindered by the um, temporal Cold War stuff that gets so convoluted, and uh, it's just not that much fun. So it feels a little bit more the same, even though I really like the launch. Um, Voyager is stronger, but then you got like a fair amount of Kazon stuff. So like, I kind of put Enterprise and Voyager on a similar plateau. I put Voyager a little higher, but honestly, like, I think I had more fun with Strange New World season one than I had with those two season ones, even though I would say they're both pretty solid. Okay, cool. 
Well, look, I, I look, we're off to a good start. I, uh, I feel confident the momentum can continue. Cam, when we left Picard season one, um, we had zero confidence uh, about it moving forward. I think we were kind of uh, fooled for those first two episodes, which showed a lot of promise. And then the show devolved in something I don't even know <laughs> what to call it. It's not television. It's just like, it's like somebody puked up like scripts and they somehow filmed this gelatinous blob of what you want to call a story there. Uh, look, I've lost complete faith in uh, Discovery at this point. The show is just incredibly boring and I just ridiculous. So uh, I guess all I'm hanging on to right now is just these legacy characters turning up in Picard season three. So, and I, now I, I, I need to have uh, Worf dressed as uh Takuvma, and he's (laughs) even in the the Takuvma uniform, shaved head, everything. Well, we've seen in other Star Trek uh, shows, not so much in the Kurtzman era, but traditionally, they look at their early seasons and figure out what the issues are, what audiences are responding to, and tend to engineer the shows to really deliver as they go forward. You know, DS9, Voyager, TNG, that was the case. Um... I'm really hoping that that's the case with this show as well. I think this show was very successful out of the gate, but I'm hoping they like figure out exactly what worked for audiences. Uh, no more episodes like the Elysian Kingdom, please. Um, I'm okay if we just <laughs> leave those off the table going forward. But like, you know, it seems like they understand like they've got a hell of a lead in Anson Mount and a really great supporting cast around him. So I'm really like hopeful that they can kind of look at what worked, what didn't, and really have a confident season two because I think they have a lot to be proud of and I think they can really build on it in the future. And I was wondering, Tyler, you and I are going to Star Trek Las Vegas this year. You remember the year that the Discovery cast came for the first time, right? Like the whole cast, more or less? Yes. Yep. And like the response was like good, but somewhat... I don't know, mixed, I suppose, where it was like, you know, the auditorium was not packed on Discovery Day. When you went by the autograph lines, they were, you know, a little slow sometimes, or the photo lines weren't great for everyone. And Cam, do you recall Shazad Latif? <laughs> he was on drugs. Like, it was very obvious <laughs> he had taken something before he came out on stage. Well, it's Las Vegas after all. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a weird... Um... Uh, debut, I'd say, for those actors, yeah. Yes, and it was at a point where people were very wary of, like, CBS All Access at that point. They're like, I'm not signing up for Star Trek. So, like, I don't know what percentage of the room had actually watched Discovery, but it didn't feel like this huge explosion of support for the new crew coming out on stage. I am very curious to see how the audience responds to the, you know, the cast of Strange New Worlds this year. I think it could be pretty rapturous. I I agree. I I, I think everybody's going to be wearing Pike wigs uh, to show their support. <laughs> yeah. Like, this cast feels like it's really connected with the fandom in a way that I'm really interested to see play out in Vegas. We, unfortunately, while we were mixed on Picard Seasons 1 and, and not happy with 2, we haven't been at a convention with the full Picard cast, so we haven't seen the way that crowds react to them yet. Yeah, um... Uh, my sense is Picard's got its fans, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I think they'll get a more rapturous sort of uh, uh, welcoming, you know, when we're there. 
uh, in the coming months than say what Discovery got in the first season. Yeah, and I think uh, it, it's really I, I feel confident saying that uh, Strange New Worlds will it'll be tough to beat. You know, just in in, in terms of how much more universal praise this show has gotten just by going back to the basics of Star Trek. Yeah, and I am hoping that the Lower Decks people come out uh, because I think they will have a pretty strong response as well. It seems like they did at um, the Chicago Con and what have you. Oh, a lot of them are even dressed up as their characters, which is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you on the Facebook page. Jump on over to facebook.com slash subspacepod. And of course, leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. They are much appreciated. And Tyler, what are we doing next week? Well, Cam, it's about a month later than we usually do it, but we will be covering the current state of Star Trek. It's usually one of our annual June features, but we've been... uh, how long is it? I think it's been like um, 50 weeks straight of uh, new Star Trek episodes at this point. And so uh, we're going to finally get around to uh, the, the state of the franchise as it is. I think there's a, quite a bit to talk about. Um, and nothing better than to go back and listen to our uh, our 2016 or maybe our 2015 version where there's like, yeah, nothing going on in the current state of the Star Trek franchise. <laughs> it's just the audio equivalent of like a tumbleweed rolling by. <laughs> It's yeah, exactly. It's it's um, it was just white noise uh, for that hour that we recorded. Exactly. Okay, and of course you can find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V is in Volley of Robotic Mining Crafts Smith, and you can find me at Reportin. That's R E P O R T T is in Time Crystal Monks O N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. I'd like to remember. Some of their names Like Larry and Steve I'm making memories I'd like to keep Transfer complete